Good day, folks. My name is John, and I want to say thank you. Thank you for coming here to listen. If, in fact, you are listening, I am grateful for your consideration. Let's hop right to it, shall we? Rebellion, it seems, is in our nature. Whether it be in the garden where we rebelled against God, whether it be in the desert when we turned our backs to him and rebelled while Moses was up on the mountain getting the law, whether it be rebellion as we are the builders who reject the capstone that is Christ, whether it be a reformation rebelling against the established church, and whether it be 21st century America as we are resisting and rebelling against the president, we seem to have a culture of rebellion and resistance. There's always something to rebel against, something to resist against, and more often than not, we get a sense of satisfaction in that we are rebelling against this or that, resisting against the authorities. But it is interesting, really, when you think about it, in that Christianity and Judeo-Christianity is not an antithetical. In fact, it is the world that is the antithetical towards the truth and the glory of God. It is fascinating how we formulate our theology. We formulate it in a way that is trying to say that we are the alternative towards the world and as it is. That Christianity, that the gospel, is an alternative to sin. The virtues are an alternative to the vices. Abstinence is an alternative to rampant sexuality and adultery. Being mindful and not gluttonous to be temperate is an alternative to being overly indulgent to be temperate is the alternative to being a drunkard. And we seem to think along these lines of alternative towards the world. And it is unfortunate, I think, because that is not the way. Christ himself did not come here to give us an alternative. He came here to proclaim the way. He did not say that this is an alternative towards the world. He said, no, this is the way. This is the life. This is the truth. Protestant theology, it seems, is entirely structured on that notion of alternative. 
We don't like the way things are. We don't like how the church is doing something or this and that. Now, I'm not disputing the fact that the Roman Catholic Church was not and has not and sometimes is still continuing to this day with its problems. Yes, of course. Anybody who says otherwise is just a damn fool. Protestant Church, however, is also too. Not without its problems, without its flaws. There are many, in fact. But the interesting thing is, is the spirit in which both of these churches lie. Now, I'm not referring to the Holy Spirit. I'm not referring to that at all. I'm referring to a different type of spirit. A why are you here? A why were we built up? You see, the Roman Catholic Church was formulated over many hundreds of years of evolution, of growth, of argument, debate, discourse, condemnation, glorification, adoration. It didn't just apparate out of nowhere. It, it formulated. And then one day, a German monk by the name of Martin Luther turned around and said, well, I don't like the way things are going. I must resist you. Now, we could sit down and argue, was Luther right in his suppositions? Of course he was. Paying for, the, paying for indulgences, of course, is not the way. And the Roman Catholic Church reformed that. But by then, the genie, so to speak, was out of the lamp, the cat was out of the bag, and suddenly started the Protestant Reformation. That's a very overly simplified, overly simplified exposition. I'm willing to acknowledge that. I don't claim to be a Lutheran scholar, but I do claim to have an understanding about things. I do claim to be able to look at a situation and kind of find the meta-narrative. Let's look at a person's modality. Let's look at their eh, thought process, their psychology. And the interesting thing about basing your theology, basing your politics on resistance and protest is very simply this. What happens when the reason uh, for which you are protesting, the reason in which you are resisting, is no longer there? What do you do then? If you are basing your theology, your understanding, your orthodoxical approaches on a supposition that was based on a contention, and that contention is no longer there, then what is your theology based on? And this is a very interesting question to ask. Because it seems to me that those people who proclaim to be Protestant, Protestant, those who are protesting, what then are you protesting? Because your theology and your orthodoxy is not based on a thesis, but you're based entirely on an antithesis or an antithesis, as we say. It is against something. Well, that's no way to live. That's no way to be. 
God himself did not come here and give us an alternative. God came here and proclaimed the truth. He proclaimed the thesis. He said, you were made good. You were made in my image and likeness. The world is the alternative. The world is that antithetical. And that antithetical, oh, that antithetical, that will drag you into depths that you don't want to be in. That will pull you down into waters that will envelop you, drown you. And it's fascinating when you observe and you research a lot of these orthodoxies. And again, I, I know I use orthodoxy in a very peculiar way. I kind of use it in a way that would say that your kung fu is strong. Your orthodoxy is weak. That's kind of how I'm using it. I don't think it's entirely wrong to do so. For we do have the Protestant Orthodoxy, the Catholic Orthodoxy, the Maronite Orthodoxy. Well, excuse me, I'm going to take that back. Uh, we have the Roman Catholic Orthodoxy, which generally speaking, those who are in communica uh, communion with the, the Roman Catholic Church are similar methodology, similar orthodoxy, close enough. But then you have Methodism Orthodoxy, Presbyterian Orthodoxy, Reform Presbyterian Orthodoxy. Lutheran Orthodoxy, Orthodox Presbyterian Orthodoxy, we could continue on, Eastern Orthodoxy, and some of these Orthodoxies get very interesting over time, because a lot of them do not suppose a thesis, they suppose an antithesis, and they view life as the theses. So, for example, when you look at most Protestant orthodoxies, it supposes that it is entirely built on the depravity of man, which is incredibly interesting for an orthodoxy that supposes itself to be entirely Christ-centric, to put God first, that its entire orthodoxy is based on the depravity and sinfulness of man and not the goodness of God, not the grace of God, not the love of God, not the acts of God, not anything having to do with God, but instead the depravity of man. Now, I'm not saying that God is not graceful. He's entirely graceful to us. In fact, he was graceful to us before we even entered into the picture. But everything in Protestant orthodoxy is based on an antithetical. We don't start with God. We start with our perspective. Now, let's take that a little bit further. We oftentimes say... That for us, we in the Protestant community, in the Protestant world, we are looking to ascend into heaven to, to be joined with the Father. We use terms like supernatural 
These things are supernatural. God is supernatural. The miracles are supernatural. Again, we're starting with us. Starting with humanity. But I don't think that these things are supernatural. Not at all. Because you see, from God's perspective, from the transcendent perspective, God is not supernatural. God is the paragon. God is the standard of natural. In fact, it could be said that our natural state is spirit. Yes, flesh is good and it is nice or was made good and we made it corrupt and evil. But if it is our actions, our choices in sin that makes us not good, that makes us not evil, uh, that makes us evil, that makes us evil, then would it not be more fair to say that we, by our own choices, by our own sin, make us less than natural, less than good? Now this to me sounds like sound theology. Because I'm not starting with myself, I'm starting with the Creator. Which is where we should all start. We were made in the image and likeness of God. We were made to be good. Very good indeed. But yet, we choose to be less than good. We choose to be less than holy. We choose the antithetical. We do not choose, oftentimes, the theses, which is God. We do not choose the standard and the natural that is God. Instead, we choose the subnatural. We choose to be less than what we could be. We choose not to be humble. We choose not to be faithful. We choose not to be righteous. God calls us to be righteous. But if we're totally depraved, there's not a blessed thing we can do. We're screwed nonetheless. Well, that's nonsense, and I will tell you why. Because God made us with the capability, the wisdom and the... Well, excuse me. The, God made us with the capability and the intellect, the rationale and the reason, to choose to be righteous. We can't do it without God, because without God, we would have no concept of these things. We would not know what is the standard to be good. We would not know what it means to be righteous unless God himself is. And God is. He is righteous. He is good. He is the standard of righteousness. He is the standard of good. He is the standard of humility. He is the standard of sacrifice. He is the standard of love. So by any definition, as we have the Lord God who is transcendent, he is above us, not floating around in the sky, not the big man in the sky. No, 
He has a higher level of existence. We're stuck here. Can't enter into that transcendent state. Not alone. Not in our own dealings, our own doings. We must have faith. Faith. Because we are sinful. Because we choose to be sinful. Now, some people would say, well, there's no choice. No. Bullshit. Bullshit. There is a choice. And I say bullshit because that's a good word to describe it. Bullshit. You have the choice. You can choose. You can choose. God himself would not tell us to go out and sin no more if it was not within the capability, with his grace, with his understanding, with his knowledge, with his archetype, with his standard, we can choose. We can choose not to sin. And I am tired of hearing this, and I think the Lord is tired of hearing of this. For I asked the Lord, Lord, give me eyes to see, give me ears to hear, give me a mouth to speak. And I see before us, everybody running around, well, I have no choice. Yes, you do. Yes, you do have a choice. But you have to set your sights and your trajectory on the natural, on the good. Our lives, we live in a subnatural state. We think that, oh, well, you know what? I don't have a choice in the matter. No, you do. You do. You have to want. You have to accept the grace of God. You have to accept the sacrifice of the Lord. You have to accept his grace. You have to know that which is good and why is it good. You have to understand that this life, how we have it right now, is the antithetical, is the sub-nature of the ultimate and true and good nature. The ultimate and true and good natural. We're only here for a temporary time. And to sit down and say that we have no choice but to wallow around in the filth and the muck and the mire is ridiculous and absurd. The prodigal son threw himself in there, and then one day he said, this is nonsense. I'm going home to the father. I'm getting out of the wallowing pigs. I'm getting out of this shithole. And he crawled out because he knew where the good was and the good was with his father who rushed out to see him. Son, you've come home. Have my ring. Let us celebrate. You have chosen to accept good. He did not. He did not charge to an antithetical. He did not protest his way. No. He accepted the thesis. He accepted the truth. And he rejected the antithetical. He rejected the antithesis. 
He rejected the evil and the shit and the swine. He rejected it. And we, oftentimes as Protestants, base our theology not on the thesis or the thetical of good, but instead in protest of the antithetical, that which is bad. We are natural. God is supernatural. We are entirely depraved, even though God made us good, very good in fact. But the truth is this, is that when, the, when that which you are protesting, that which you are resisting is no longer there, then what do you stand for? When evil and sin are wiped away, the antithetical is gone, then what are you going towards? Dare I say, when certain leaders of government are no longer there, what are you standing for? But it seems to be our way. This is the gifts and the fruits of eternally protesting, eternally resisting. We are resisting this and resisting that. And yes, Scripture does say resist evil. But it also says, seek first, seek first the kingdom of heaven. And all things shall be given unto you. It does not say resist evil first. It says seek first. These are the words of the master. A thesis. I want to say thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope my words spoke to you, understand. I only speak to you that which is in my heart, that which the Lord has given me. So thank you very much for taking the time to listen and to honor the, Lord, uh, the words of our Lord and Savior and so many who have come before us. Peace be to you. And in my own words, to honor some more. Thank you for listening. Good day. And God bless.